You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Well, the Seahawks are coming off a win last week. It certainly feels good in the building. You forget how good a win feels. Jen Mueller and John Boyle with you. John from Seahawks.com. And I, it's been a little while since we talked to guys after a win. I forgot how easy those conversations are it's and a, how much fun yeah. they are. It's a lot better. I mean, look, it's naturally when, when they lose, especially. It's one thing if you are you know have a big winning record and you lose one, guys are kind of like, yeah, whatever, but. When the losses start piling up, it, it takes its toll on people. So, yeah, it is. It was nice. I mean, that locker room was very lively when we were sitting in the press conference room waiting for Pete Carroll. You could just hear the shouts and the music and everything. And they, they needed that one for sure. And it is carried over through the course of the week. You can just tell in practice and in the building and the smiles and the reactions. They are certainly feeding off of that. They are looking for back-to-back wins. They will face the Houston Texans this week. We're going to get into that matchup in just a minute, but the news of Jamal Adams certainly puts a damper on all those good feelings, knowing that Jamal will miss the rest of the season with shoulder surgery on the same shoulder that he had surgery on following the last season. It is... Not quite the same injury, not quite in the same place, Pete said, but a very similar injury. And, John, that's got me thinking about things that I have conveniently forgot. Oh, yeah? Like what? Well, well, here's (laughs) what I conveniently forgot to do today. Leave enough time to empty the dishwasher. Oh, I no dislike good. that chore a lot. I so do I can I'd rather do the dishes than I, unload the dishwasher. I know. I conveniently forgot to do that. And then on my way out the door said, Hey hun, can you empty the dishwasher? I'm so sorry I forgot to do that today. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I can only get away with that so much before he finally says, I don't think you forgot to do anything. I think it was intentional. Now, I bet you're wondering what my dishwasher story has to do with Jamal Adams and why this is all tying together. I am. I'm waiting to see where this goes. Well, Look, the news that Jamal is going to miss the rest of the season after signing an extension earlier this year makes him and the Seahawks a target for criticism, fair or otherwise, about whether that deal was a good deal or not. We're going to hear from Pete Carroll in just a minute on what that trade actually did and and what he brought to the team. But, John, I think we need to go back and put some context and perspective around this because we're conveniently, and I, when I say we, I mean in the course of conversation, right, fans and, and non-fans, conveniently forget a few things that were happening when that original deal was done. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a couple of factors that you're right. I think people are leaving out when they want to judge this trade. Um, first of all, you were going into a huge draft of uncertainty due to the COVID pandemic, and the, John Schneider and others have openly admitted part of the reason they were willing to make that trade is they knew that it was going to be a tough draft to judge and getting a guy that you knew was a surefire. Pete Carroll referenced this, you know, you get a first round pick, especially a late first round, which is where they've been picking for a decade. It's going to take some time probably for that guy to make his impact. Jamal came in, made a great impact right away on a team that went and won the division, went 12 and four. Part of the reason they gave up a third round pick in last year's draft instead of this year's draft was that uncertain, or I'm sorry that, yeah, the 2020 of the, 
the pandemic's gone so long, I've lost track of which <laughs> drafts were Time affected by it. Time doesn't even mean anything the anymore. The 2021 draft, third round pick, instead of a 2022, was exactly that. That uncertainty of, we this is going to be a tough draft to evaluate. You also made those trades, assuming because you've been winning for a decade, that they'd be late first round picks. And to get an impact player like Jamal Adams, that's the price it's going to cost. And lastly, the one that I've come back to most lately is I think people are judging this as if this is the end of Jamal Adams' career. They made that trade knowing it was with the intent to go out and sign him to a long-term deal, which they did. Yes, it costs a lot of money, but that was the market for a safety of his talents and his unique skill set. So, look, I get it's frustrating that they're having a losing season and now he's hurt again for the second year. But let's hold off on judging this and see what happens over the next couple of years. I'm going to add a few more things on there. The amount of consternation that Seahawks fans have expressed over the Seahawks' first-round draft picks or the first picks that the Seahawks have had in the draft, Mm -hmm. for anybody clamoring for that pick, Seattle has traded out of their first-round pick a lot. Fans have not been overly excited about the results of those early picks. So I'm not really sure why you are so upset that you have lost that at the moment outside of the fact it gives you something to complain about later on. I'm just going to go out and say (laughs) that. I think the money piece on that would look different if the Seahawks had not already committed a lot of money to key players on a veteran team, right? If you had Russell Wilson at the beginning of his career – Or if you had some of these guys, Bobby Wagner, Tyler Lockett, who hadn't already been signed to big deals, and that number that's allotted to Jamal Adams, now it looks like it inhibits you from signing guys when really, to your point, that's what it cost, and that's just where the Seahawks are with a veteran team. It's it's where they would be either way. Well, and also, I mean, yes, it it was a huge number when they signed him to it, but I would also remind people that the cap is going to start going way up, and I think we're going to see – you know, probably by the end of next year, if not sooner, that deal won't look quite as costly. Yeah. Yeah. It, Which and is what, I mean, we see that with quarterback deals all the time. Somebody's the highest paid quarterback making 30 million and you're saying, oh my God, that's so much money. And now guys are making 40 something. So. Yeah. And the last thing I'm going to point out is the Seahawks standard for playing defense requires that you have some heavy hitters on the back end. At the time, you were transitioning out of some of those big-name players Mm -hmm. who had laid that foundation. Jamal Fitz. Now, he is a different type of player. You used him differently than you used any other safety in the system, but he fit that aggressive style, hard-hitting. You saw with the sack totals last year. I just All of these things we conveniently forget when the season abruptly comes to an end with an injury and... They still have a replacement for him. Yeah. They really like, I mean, look, Ryan Neal's not Jamal Adams. He said that himself. He's not trying to be him, but they do really like what they have in Ryan Neal. He's played a bunch. They basically created that dime package to get him on the field in a lot of ways in third down. So it's it's a bummer to lose Jamal. Obviously, he was playing really well of late, too. You know, he, had, he was starting to get the interceptions were coming his way. He was just making a lot of impact plays. So it's tough, but they do feel confident in the guy stepping in. And I did promise that we would hear from Pete Carroll on Jamal and just what he has brought to that team since the trade. And again, you you can't just look at this year's numbers. When you give away a a number one pick and then, you you know, that pick is going to come in in the future. And that's going to, you know, we had him immediately and immediately last year he had a huge impact. And, uh, 
Um, he's continued to have a, a huge impact. Our safeties have played terrific football. They're, these guys are they're really, really good together and, and uh, playing off of one another. So I, he, whereas, you know, you, you know, all the hypes about sacks, well, when, when's the last time somebody hyped up a safety sack numbers and made a big deal about it? Well, it's because he had such a phenomenal year last year. And, uh, you know, we weren't able to, to, to capitalize this year as much as we'd like. We, we came out trying. But... Um, He's meant a tremendous amount. He's a, he's physical. He's tough. He's got great energy. Practices like crazy. Uh, it's really important to him. Um, in that, in the, the the leadership that comes from a guy who plays that hard and throws his body around like he does, is it's it's hard to measure that, you know. And so, um, he's been a. I think he's been a fantastic uh, get for us. And I, I go back to the you know you get him immediately and he's playing for you. And you you pick another guy and then you figure out can he play and how does he do as he's transitioning into the league. And there's you know we had immediate response out of that. You mentioned the fact that now it is Ryan Neal who is going to step in. And while Ryan Neal has said, I am not Jamal Adams, Ryan Neal did tell us a couple of weeks ago, I am a, I'm a linebacker in a DB's body. When he was talking about the, the role that he plays on dime, he is not the same size. He is a heavy hitter. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he's willing to throw his body around. It's funny hearing him talk in his press conference about it. He referenced the game against the Vikings last year where – Minnesota came out with heavy packages and ran a bunch and just how sore he was after that game. You know, he wasn't used to being a starter, being out there for, you know, 60, 70 plays. And he said, yeah, shoot, I got to get stronger. Like he realized that's a whole nother game when you're out there playing a lot of run defense. So he did put on a little strength this off season. And yeah, I mean, he, he plays very physical. He, he, he's one of those guys that just shows up around the ball making plays. So, you know, again, it's, it's a real shame to lose Jamal Adams, but it'll also be exciting to see what Ryan Neal does with this opportunity. Well, and, you know, it is fortunate that the Seahawks have that backup. I remember talking to John Schneider just kind of casually at practice during training camp. And, you know, when all those cornerbacks were on the roster and you're trying to figure out how is that going to shake out, it's like, Jen, you can't have too many DBs. Watch this. Watch watch how you go into the season. You can't have too many DBs. And, and you want to have all of those options. So, They do have a couple of options. We'll see if they add to that. We'll also see what that secondary looks like against a Texans team. John, there there really is no way to sugarcoat this. If Seahawks fans think that it has been tough with a down year in Seattle, the headlines coming out of Houston are, they are very direct. They are very stark and they are not very good. It's bleak there. I mean, it's, it's not just the losses, but it's just everything going around around that franchise situation with Deshaun Watson who's still on the team but they haven't had him practicing or playing all year as his legal situation plays out it's it's been a tough situation for them they're they're obviously not playing well but uh, as you know anyone will tell you you can't I mean it's still the NFL and those guys are still motivated on the other side and you know we saw them go out and beat Tennessee a couple weeks ago so you you gotta take every game seriously but yeah it's it's been a tough go for the Texans for sure. Well, and when we look at the Seahawks defense matched up against the Texans offense, they rank dead last in just about every category, including points. They average just 13 a game, total yards just 245 a game, and rushing yards 78 a game. And that is with having Mark Ingram and David Johnson as their running backs. David Johnson, the Seahawks know well from his time in Arizona. And it looks like the rookie Davis Mills is going to be starting Tyrod Taylor is dealing with injuries, although 
that's not really official coming out of Houston, but yeah. it certainly sounds like he, he doesn't have a, a lot there with his wrist. Yeah, he's got that the non-throwing hand wrist injury that last week he didn't play because they said he couldn't grip the football and handle snaps. Yet this week he's got a chance to play. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I think everyone's expecting it to be the rookie Davis Mills, but you know this team's had some experiences here preparing for the uncertainty at quarterback situation. They've had a few of those games, and I think this defense will be ready either way. Well, and uh, Davis Mills has thrown seven touchdowns, eight interceptions. He will be working with Justin Britt, who is now the center for the Texans. He has had some injuries to deal with, but you know that with the veteran status, he could help that uh, that rookie just a little bit. Yeah, perhaps? you'd think so. I mean, he yeah, he's been gone. He's been on IR for a little bit. Just came back this past game. So yeah, that's having a veteran steady presence at center helps everybody, but especially that young quarterback. Well, and I want to see what our defense does this week because last week was the first time the Seahawks offense and the Seahawks have won time of possession. Yeah, how about that? You could tell, though. I mean, like, yeah, I I understand the 49ers drove the length of the field, but you could tell with the plays that the defense was still making and the explosion that they had, it makes a difference when your legs are rested. First time all year they've had a second-half shutout. I don't think that's a coincidence when – they're not on the field quite so much. And back-to-back games without allowing a fourth-quarter point, which, as you noted last week, they had not done all season until that. So, yeah, Where do you look at, before we take a look at the reverse of this matchup and the Seahawks' offense, where do you think the greatest offensive threat for the Texans lies? I mentioned the two running backs. Brandon Cooks is the leading wide receiver. Of course, the Seahawks and their fans will remember Brandon from his time with the Rams. He's leading the team with 742 yards, but just three touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, statistically, you look at he's he's the big threat, and he's having a solid season. You know, he's on pace for another 1,000-yard year. But even that, a lot of that production came early in the year, and it's, I mean, it's tough when you're not getting consistent quarterback play for, for any one guy to, to get the job done. So, you know, I, I would point to him as the number one guy you got to stop out there. And, you know, for this defense and most defensive defenses in the NFL, we'll always start with stopping the run as well. But I think a lot of it more to me is kind of the mental side of it, of just coming in and taking care of your business and knowing, again, you can't overlook anybody. If you play sloppy in this game, any team can beat you. And we've seen the Texans pop up and do that this year. So just, you know, be on top of your own stuff. Be smart. Don't don't have those third down penalties that extend a drive. Silly things like that. And if you take care of your own business, I think the Seahawks should be in good shape. Well, and the defense did hold the 49ers run game in check. 71 yeah. yards on 25 carries. That was a team that was averaging over 120 yards a game yeah. in the it, three games you know, coming in. It, it, they were over 150 in their yeah. previous three. They had 208, I think, in the game before. That was, that was a great effort by that run defense for sure. It certainly was. It's one of the reasons the Seahawks came away with a win. And it's one of the reasons Pete Carroll can confidently say that there is just a different vibe and a whole lot more confidence in that locker room. There's no doubt. I mean, we, we've, we've lost enough games. You know, we've lost enough. We, we, we figured that, that thing out. Um, we need to keep building on the wins, you know, and, and, and go from because it's such a different feeling. It, it is. And, and uh, from the locker room, getting off the field, you know, just coming off the sidelines when the, as the game's over, you know, things shift. And, and uh, so we, we're working to build on that and, and try to capture the, the good and the fun and, and the playmaking and the continuity that we felt to finish the game and all the things that were necessary and carry that over. That whole thing is, is really, that's the art of building on it, you know, and, and so that you can create momentum moving forward. We're going to try to do that. Well, and you're going to try to do that with the Seahawks offense that finally looked like itself, or at least a closer version of itself, 
John, is it any coincidence that Russ looked better on Sunday eight weeks after the surgery when that was the original kind of timeline, yeah, six to eight sure. weeks? I mean, that's you go back to, I mean, it was very impressive the way he was able to battle back. As Pete Carroll said, you know, they were seeing enough in practice. It wasn't like they just let Russell Wilson decide, like, hey, I'm going to go play. They, they evaluated in practice, and he, you know, did enough. But, look, it's obvious that the player he was in Green Bay is not the player he was last week. He's getting healthier. That finger's getting better. He wasn't, you know, we didn't see those throws that were just sailing over Gerald Everett or whoever else from short range. I mean, he was, what, 30 for 37? And at least one of those was a touchdown that turned into an interception. Um, it, yeah, I mean, great game from Russ. And obviously, as you said, not coincidentally, that's why the offense looks so good. They, you know, they started off slow, just like last time they played the 49ers. But then once they got going, they converted, I think, four of their five third down conversions were touchdown drives. So the, when you're converting on third down, good things happen. Well, and, you know, you got the running game involved just a little bit more. And I'm not going to say that the numbers were overwhelming. The 73-yard punt return helps. Or it punt, does. Fake punt helps. So. It does. But what I'm actually looking at is the number of run plays yeah. in that game, 27. We haven't seen that many since the end of October against New Orleans. I mean, well, that's that just that getting the plays. I mean, that's the thing. We keep hearing this from them of, like, Someone will ask, why isn't so-and-so involved? Why aren't you getting the running game going? It's hard to get stuff going like that when you're only getting 50 plays a game or 48 plays. So once you start staying on the field, you can get all these guys involved. You can get the runs you need. It, it changes everything. Well, and I think that this is another thing that we conveniently forget. Right. There is talk of the Seahawks not knowing what their identity is and they're they're wishy-washy from week to week. Are they a run team? Are they a pass team? Is it a smash mouth? Is it a finesse team? Look, here's the reality. You knew what your identity was coming into the season. You had a running back. His name is Chris Carson. He's been hurt. That changes things dramatically. In the last two years, we have seen the Seahawks transition to where Russ can throw the ball more, or is throwing. I, that can is, can is a bad word. Is throwing the ball more. Yeah. And you liked that at the beginning of last year when let Russ cook was the motto for everybody. I think we've conveniently for this year, you were dealing with so many injuries and so much just transition. Seahawks and their fans haven't had to deal with this for 10 years. All the other teams in the league, they've been through this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a tough year on a lot of fronts and specifically with that running game, you lose Chris Carson. What it was week five, I think was his last game. He's, he's missed most of the season. And with that, it wasn't just Chris Carson. You've had, you've pretty much always had at least one other running back banged up all year whether it's been Penny out for a while or we've seen Alex Collins finally got a game off last week, but he's been playing through injury for most of his time as a starter. So they've been pretty beat up there. You know, it's their line hasn't been consistent with injuries. They've had guys in and out of the lineup there. So it has been a tough go to get that running game going. I think, you know, if they can just be a little better, like we saw against 49ers, it can make all the difference. You just get some of those conversions, stay on the field, get those chances to get the running game going and, see a better version of the offense down the stretch two questions about that run game what is the best way to use Rashad Penny because to me it's a little bit of he's a little bit of an enigma at times yeah I mean he's clearly his biggest impacts when you can get him the ball in space you know that we see like the tosses to the edge you know we saw rare for the Seahawks a screen pass that worked really well they you know that we that has not been a strength of this offense as Pete Carroll so delicately put it a couple weeks ago 
Um, he got out in space. So, yeah, finding ways to get him in space. I don't think – it's not that he can't run between the tackles, but that's not where he shines. So I think that's why bringing in a you know guy like Adrian Peterson or if it's a healthy Alex Collins, having a more physical guy who can hit the, hit the hole and then have Penny be that guy that you get out in space where he's just a big play waiting to happen. Yeah, and that brings me to my second question about the running game. AP's numbers were not – just off the charts, but what is the effect of Adrian Peterson? Every single teammate talked about how cool it was to have him on the field. Yeah, I mean, the, the first effect is not just, you know, the touches he had, but just sort of his presence. Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, a lot of these guys talked about just kind of what that did in the week of practice. And Pete kind of half-jokingly, but I think there's some truth about it, noted like all the other running backs seem to play their best last week when you add a, a legend <laughs> in there to compete with them. I mean, Penny had his best game. Homer, obviously, most of his stuff was special teams, but he had a huge game. So I do think sometimes just adding somebody to push guys who, you know, he can come in there and say, look, I'm 36 years old and I'm still getting it done. I'm still working my butt off. I'm still finishing these runs in practice. So it can light a fire under guys. And then he, you know, his numbers don't look good at all from the game. And, yeah, he fumbled on his, what, first, second carry. Yeah. He he got the first run. I'm not putting that on him. He took a handoff and was tackled as soon as he got it. That was that wasn't on him, but then the next play he fumbled, which obviously you can't have. But after that, he ran hard. He gave him, I mean, that he had that third down conversion where he's hitting the backfield and he just powered through. And that's just no knock on the other guys. I just don't think that's a play anybody else in that running back room probably makes other than Chris Carson when he's healthy. So that physicality can help them as well, even if it's not getting you a ton of yards, just getting some of those tough yards. Yeah, and turnover is something that we saw way too much of last yeah, week. It cannot sloppy. happen this week. There was a point where the Texans forced 10 turnovers during a three-week stretch, and that is something that they have done really, really well this year. They, they really, uh, they've, uh, Lovey's got them really flying around. They're, they've got a real attack mode mentality, and uh, that always has a chance to be disruptive and the defense that really starts up front with them and the way they come off the football and attack the line of scrimmage is like some you know, it's uh, love you goes all the way back to his, his tampa days you know and, and i think as, as i see it and, and uh, um, the scheme is similar where it was always built around the guys up front attacking and uh, they're very aggressive and so they make things happen you know yeah i mean we, we went back earlier talking about just the struggles the texans have had and if you want to pinpoint okay, what does this team do well? That's, I mean, that's the number one thing, and that's how you can win games when you're a struggling team is you get the ball away from teams, you force turnovers. You can win a lot of games even with the 32nd-ranked offense if you're getting takeaways. So, I mean, yeah, that's – they've had, yeah, what would you say, two games with five turnovers? And they've – or, yeah, two games with five turnovers, multiple turnovers in five games – so or takeaways, I should say. So, yeah, that – that part of their team is really dangerous, and if the Seahawks aren't better with the ball, then they didn't just turn it over three times. They put it on the ground a couple more times in addition to that. So Seahawks got to be cleaner on offense in terms of ball security. Yeah, 14 interceptions, and those come by 10 different defenders, so it's not just one guy that Russ needs to watch out for. It is an entire ball-hawking defense, which brings me to the two things you need to see for a Seahawks win this week week John Boyle well we just led right into the first one just take care of the ball again this this is a team on paper you're a lot better than you should go out and beat and the number one way to get in your own way is turning the ball over so no turnovers on offense for me and then I want to see this defense make things tough on uh, the rookie quarterback if we are seeing the rookie quarterback pass rush has kind of been the one element missing from what's otherwise been a really good defense over the last what two months really 
So let's let's see some pass rush getting home, maybe get, let's say, three sacks and affect the quarterback a little bit. I was going to up you on that sack total. Sure. We have had two games in which we have recorded three sacks against opponents. That was back in week one and week two. How about if we go for a four-sack game Let's from the defense? And uh, we could either go time of possession or number of plays. The Seahawks, 33 minutes time of possession last week. They ran 68 plays. I would like to see them run at least that many plays again. Keep that defense nice and fresh. You do have a shot against some struggling teams down the street here to get to a winning record and possibly sneak into the playoffs. I like it. That will be something we can dive into perhaps next week because that's the next time we will join you on this on another edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. Mm-hmm.